Welcome back to the Secret Sauce Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Swing. I hope you've got your shoes tied because if not, this conversation is about to rock your socks off. I've got Dr. Randy Ross joining me today. Randy is an author, speaker, consultant, and culture influencer. His first book was when he co-authored with one of the original two marketing executives at Chick-fil-A, David Sawyers, called Remarkable. A lot of you may have heard of that book, and I've got some exciting news that we'll share about that book in the conversation today. He's written three additional books since then, Relationomics, Fireproof Happiness, and You've Made a Good Living, Now Make Life Good is his most recent book. We're going to discuss how to create relationally rich environments and unpack some critical maxims by asking ourselves some questions about creativity, positivity, problem solving, and feedback. Let's dive in because I can't wait for you to hear this one. Well, I could not be more excited to welcome my guest to the podcast today, Dr. Randy Ross. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's absolutely my pleasure. Thanks, Josh. Your favorite sauce, Randy. So you walk into a Chick-fil-A now with whatever you order, what's your go-to? It's got to be honey mustard. There's no question. I mean, I, that's uh, for the nuggets, for the sandwich, for the waffle fries even. Uh, honey mustard you can't beat. Man, hard to argue with versatility. I think there's a leadership principle wrapped up in there somewhere. <laughs> Great sauce, no doubt. Well, let's let that lead us into really the theme for our conversation today. Randy, I want to talk about your secret sauce for leadership. You're somebody who has an incredible amount of experience in the leadership world with some of your previous roles, but even what you do now with adding value to audiences and large groups of people, whether it's speaking or writing books, what is Dr. Randy Ross's secret sauce for leadership? What would you label that sauce? Well, that's a great question. It's uh, creating environments that are relationally rich. I mean, people function most effectively, Josh, when there's a deep sense of commitment in the context of community. Growth occurs when we have a community of encouragement and support and accountability. And and I think the greatest uh, challenge for every leader is to keep their, their hand on the helm of culture because we all have to be champions of culture and keepers of the culture. And so culture is the single greatest differentiating factor that you possess. So I, I love going across the country and helping organizations craft cultures that inspire people to bring their best to work every day. That's really powerful and creating environments that are relationally rich. And I know if you boil down culture, I would say it's, it's very dependent upon trust, which typically is very dependent upon the strength of the relationships that you have with your team. And I don't think it's news to anybody that we live in a very self-driven world these days. We have the, the selfie crisis on our hands. I saw a statistic recently that it was like the average person now I think spends about 54 hours a year taking selfies of themselves, which boils down to about seven minutes per day on selfies, which for some of my more seasoned leaders listening to this, you're like, there's no way. But if you interacted with young leaders a little bit more, I think you'd see that statistic come to life. And you look at the booming industry of self-help and books with a self-help title have tripled in the last decade and the self-help industry in, in itself is on track, I think, to be a, a $14 billion industry by 2025. And, uh, and if we're not very careful, Randy, it can be all about 
our personal growth and not go where it needs to go. And that's to others. And like you said, creating these relationally rich environments. I'd love to hear from your perspective though, as you're meeting with organizations and different leaders, what are some of the obstacles that get in the way of what you're talking about in this culture formation, this focus on the thing I think that is is ultimately the biggest determinator of success, and that's the culture that you have. I'd love to hear your insights there. Well, I mean, you've already sort of alluded to it. You know, this generation is infatuated with selfies, but the reality is, I don't care if you're a builder, a boomer, a buster, or a millennial, the challenge is that the hallmark of our society is independence and individualism. You know, everybody prides themselves on being self-made, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. You know, there's a part of that that I think we we applaud, we cherish because it's a it's a statement of self-sufficiency. The the challenge with that is that independence and individualism oftentimes leads to isolation. And that becomes highly problematic. And we experience the repercussions of that, even during COVID, you know, when we had to maintain our distance to curb the pandemic. What happened was a lot of people began to feel the ill effects of remote work and isolation, a sense of the loss of community and connectedness, which led to high levels of anxiety, stress, depression, you know, divorce was at an all-time high. All of those are the ramifications of us living in a world that champions and values self-promotion and self-protection. And so I think when we lose that sense of connectedness with others, there's a sense of our own soul that we lose because healthy people want to grow. The problem is very few know how. Nothing can grow unless it changes. So change is necessary for growth to occur, but we're all change resistant because we don't have this ability to reflect and, and, and think introspectively to the point that we can see the areas in which we need to grow. You made mention of the fact that the self-help, the section of the bookstore there's more proliferation of self-help material in the market than we've ever seen before. So much that we should have all of our problems solved by now, but we, we can't. And, and it's really simple. We can't because we don't know where we need to grow. It's called a blind spot. And if we're not deeply connected in a sense of community, a trusting environment where people believe the best in one another, you know, they want the best for one another and they expect the best from one another, then we're not connected with the people who can really sharpen us and point out those areas in which we need to grow. I like that. The irony of being self-aware is realizing that it takes other people to be self-aware, creating those communities. I know that we could probably sit here and talk just about creating those communities for the rest of the day. I don't want to do that. I want to talk about some different aspects of it. I know that you've written a couple of books but I want to start with your book, Remarkable. I know there's some key pillars in that book that definitely contribute to this culture building that you're talking about. And so could you unpack some of those key pillars that you go through in your book that has stood the test of time now and I know has been iterated on a couple of times, but walk us through that, please. Okay. Well, in Remarkable, we we unpack some of the principles of axiology, and a lot of people are not familiar with axiology, but it's a strain of philosophy, and it's a study about values, value constructs, and value creation. For me, it's probably the best explanation of human motivational behavior. Essentially, it postulates that 
whatever we deem will bring the most value to life, both for ourselves and for others, that's what we will pursue. So our behavior is driven by our beliefs and our beliefs are formed because of our value construct. So there are principles that we eke out in the book of axiology, but we try to make them really simple and concise, easy to grasp, easy to apply. And so we kind of back into it and we ask a series of questions. And the first maxim that we espouse in the book is the maxim of creativity, because we are all designed to create value in life. So the question we ask is, do you create more value than you take? Do you, It's a real simple question. But it's important because in life, Josh, there are two kinds of people. There are value creators and there are value extractors. And a value extractor lives with a scarcity mentality that simply says, hey, there's not enough to go around. So therefore, I've got to get to the table and get as much off the table for myself as I can if I want to survive, right? But they, a value extractor has blatant disregard for how that's going to impact other people because it's all about themselves and what they can get out of that endeavor. What's in it for me? But a value creator has a different mindset. They've got an abundance mentality, which says, no, if, if you and I and everybody in this endeavor, if we bring more to the table than we take away, at the end of the day, there will be a surplus on the table that then can be shared by everybody who helped to create that value. It's just the opposite. You know, it's, it's about bringing value to life. It's about living beyond yourself. It's about leaving a bigger impact. That's the first principle, the maximum of creativity. The maximum of positivity is very simple as well. It just says, you know, are you leaving a positive wake in the world? Because like a boat going through the water leaves a ripple impact. So our lives leave an impact on others. And here's the fascinating thing about this axiological principle. All the good things that we want in life are a byproduct of creating value for other people. And I like that because John Templeton very wise man was was fond of saying that happiness pursued eludes, but happiness given returns. And if you think about it, if you happiness, which is probably what all of us value, it's what everybody in life wants. How do you find happiness? You can't pursue it and directly catch it. it it's a byproduct of doing good for others. Like what Zig Ziglar used to say, he'd say for you, you know, the fastest way to success is to make sure that everyone around you is successful. As you help others become successful, you too will find your path to success. But then there's the concept of sustainability. In order to continuously create value, you need to leverage your passion and your strengths to solve problems. And there's a full lot, Josh, in our market. People are talking all the time about, about passion. Pursue your passion. Do what you love. If you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. And that's all fine and well and good. But you know, there are a lot of things I'm passionate about, but nobody will ever pay me for. <laughs> I'm, I'm passionate about golf, but nobody's ever paid me a dime to play golf. Probably because I'm not any good, but still I'm passionate about it. And there's a whole lot of talk about strengths, you know, strengths finders and leveraging your strengths and all that. And again, I'm a big propeller and I think you do need to lean into your strengths. But here's the kicker. Yes, find something you're passionate about. Yes, leverage your strengths. But for what end? And the end always has to be to solve problems because business is about solving problems. It's about making the human condition better. It's about making life better, bringing value to life. And so the sustainability part is what problems are you solving? And then the last piece is the principle or the maximum of responsibility, which just simply says, 
And we all have to take ownership over those things for which we have responsibility. And it's that whole idea of accountability. And so we go back, you know, sort of to the three basic prongs of a good culture in our, we call a remarkable culture, a trilogy of elements. And it's a place where people believe the best in one another. That's the trust that you were talking about. They want the best for one another, which is the connection and compassion, the community, and they expect the best from one another, which is the accountability. And so those are the basic premises of axiology. And I think it's a really rich way to think about culture building. A couple of things that really stuck out to me that I want to reiterate, starting with creativity and this scarcity versus abundance mindset reminds me of a of an illustration that I saw two authors write similar books. The scarcity mindset would say, I don't want to create any awareness to that author's following of my book, because what if they all buy his book and not my book? And the abundance mentality would say, man, look, there's two huge people groups who find value in this topic that we're writing about. What if we came together and maximized and everybody from both of our circles bought both of the books because it's something they're passionate about. And that's the abundance mentality that you're talking about. The rising tide lifts all ships. It doesn't have to be a win-loss game. It could be a win-win game if we approach it with the right mindset, with that creativity mindset. And then you mentioned the Zig Ziglar quote from the positivity side of things. I was at the Chick-fil-A Next this past year where they did a big celebration ceremony for Tentisopoulos as he's retiring. And he went his whole career with the plaque on his desk that says a man is able to accomplish anything if he doesn't care who gets the credit. And I think it's a similar version of what you're talking about. It's just looking at where do our motivations lie. If our motivations are all for ourselves and the personal pursuit of me being happy, then the chances are it's never going to come to realization. But if at my core heart level, my motivations are to create happiness for others. That's when I start to experience happiness myself. So that really stuck out. Sustainability, the solving problems. I think life gets a lot more fun when you can learn to embrace the hard is, is what I thought about when you're mentioning that, Randy, the ability to know that by choosing to do the hard thing now and solving this problem I'm delaying what would be even more difficult in the future by not solving the problem the way that I should. And so it's that constant embrace of there's always going to be another problem. There's never going to come a point in time where it's like, all right, let's wrap it up. We've solved all the problems that just doesn't exist. And then obviously ownership, accountability, bringing it full circle back to the relationships is crazy, crazy important. If somebody was starting out, maybe they're like, man, I don't have any of those pillars and I need to build my culture, where would you recommend that somebody starts on creating that relationally rich environment? Are there certain things as you step into maybe toxic culture environments? Maybe it's not toxic. Maybe it's just not optimal. Are there certain things that you'd recommend people to start with so that they can begin to build that trust that you're talking about so all these other pillars can, can stand up and take place? The answer is you start with yourself because you've got to bring your best self to the table. And I'm not, the idea of constantly being open to receiving feedback, but not just being open, but asking for it, asking for feedback. Because if you want to create a relationally rich environment, you have to conduct yourself in a way that 
promotes a relationally rich environment, which means the trust. It means the compassion. It means the connection. And one of the questions I think is really good to ask of everyone around you is, hey, what is it like for you to be on the other side of me? And how do you experience me? How am I as a leader? How am I as a spouse? How am I as a dad? How am I as a community leader? Share with me those things that you see in me that I may not see in myself, but that you'd say, hey, if I could sharpen one thing, this is what I, it would be if I were to coach you up. Josh, I think that the organizations that I've worked with and I've seen that have had the biggest impact are those that have been able to create open loops of continuous feedback where anybody within the organization at any time can bring anything to anyone and talk about it to encourage each other, to coach each other up, sometimes to confront if necessary, bad behavior, toxic behavior. But those organizations that are able to create open loops of feedback, they become self-coaching and self-correcting, which is a wonderful thing. Because if you do believe the best in one another and you do want the best for one another, then if you were to see me perform poorly or not bring my best you know, game to the table, or a misstep or whatever it may be, you owe it to me if you believe in me, to encourage me, to hold me accountable, to challenge me, to bring my A game, if you really believe the best in me. Leaders have to set that tone. You know, we have to be the ones that ask the questions first. And, it, and I'll be honest with you, when you first start asking the question, at first, people may not be comfortable giving you candid feedback because they're going to wonder, well, if I'm honest about what I see, Will there be any punitive measures that will be leveled against me? And we have to get beyond that by asking the question regularly enough that people become comfortable with it. And then as we receive that feedback well, it's what we call in the book, getting into the growth spiral. You know, when we receive that information well, we're able to apply it personally. Then people begin to, to trust and believe that we were honest about asking the question. But I think if you want to start in crafting a strong culture, that's the place that you need to begin is not only with openness to feedback, but asking regularly for feedback for your personal growth and development. That creates that atmosphere of trust and it creates that atmosphere of openness that I think lends itself toward a good organization growth trajectory. That's great. I would agree totally that the healthiest cultures that I've seen have been a culture of feedback where feedback is, is given and received very frequently. It's not even like, hey, we're okay if somebody gives us feedback. It's like a, a craving feedback. Like we're constantly asking for it that exists within the healthiest cultures. And I think you mentioned something very critical there. The, the phrase, a, a leader is someone who knows the way, goes the way and shows the way, I believe is how the saying goes. But if we want a culture of feedback, you as the leader has to model it first. So just don't come into the picture and say, hey, guess what, everybody? Today's your lucky day. I'm going to give you all feedback. That's probably not going to go over very well. But if you said, hey, team, I want everybody to give me feedback and they see that you take that feedback and that you apply it to your life and you're very serious about it, I imagine they're going to be much more receptive to receiving that feedback. Now, don't turn around and fire anybody either that gives you the feedback that you don't want to hear. Can't do that as a leader. Well, but let's be honest. I mean, the, the most highly functioning teams that you see, <clears throat> whether it's on the hard court or on the field of play, are those that are constantly in communication with each other and they're offering real-time coaching feedback. They go into the huddle and, you know, the, the tight end says to the quarterback, hey, I can beat him on the out route. You know, give me a shot. Let's try it. 
you know, you're missing your blocker. Here's the assignment. This is the stunner. They bring the blitz and they're talking to each other on the line. They're talking to each other in the huddle. There's constant communication with the sideline. Those are the teams that perform the best. And when we get to that place that we can do that, open those loops of continuous feedback, then good things begin to happen. Yeah. The frequency and the timing of the feedback is also critically important. I think what can exist and in what probably does exist, and I'm guessing in a lot of the listeners' cultures today, because primarily if you're listening, I know that a lot of the listeners are in a Chick-fil-A scenario. And from what I've heard from countless conversations is that there can be this culture of what I would call terminal niceness, where you believe by not sharing that constructive feedback with somebody that you're doing them a favor, right? That you're not hurting their feelings. But um, you talked about this a second ago, Randy, that's a massive disservice to that person. If you truly care about somebody, you would want the best for them. And the best thing that you can do is to say, hey, here's how I experienced this. And here are some things that I think that you could work on to be better at this. That's going to go a lot longer than sweeping it under the rug or avoiding the tough conversation <laughs> running the other way from it. And But I think part of that also is we have to raise up mature individuals within the life of the organization who assume the role of saying, I want to be a part of helping people grow. The only reason you should ever give someone feedback is because you have a vested interest in helping them grow. It's not to give something off your back or off your mind or off your conscience. The only reason you should offer feedback is because you are so concerned about someone else and helping them mature and grow to become better. That's the only legitimate reason to offer feedback. So if you see somebody who's not fulfilling their potential or they they aren't performing well or they misstep, then we owe it to them to help them and to show them those areas in which they can step up their game or improve their service or whatever it happens to be. And and we owe that to each other. It's powerful. It takes time, right? To slow down and, and have those conversations. And Randy, I know that's another big issue that I see where we live in such a fast paced world now and the world's constantly screaming at us. Like, what more could you do? What more could you accomplish? And so many times we put on our blinders, right? And we don't see the opportunities to engage and help and give feedback where feedback needs to be given. Listen, everybody, do yourself a huge favor. If you're listening right now, hit pause, go watch Randy's manifesto on his website. It is incredible, but I'm going to, I'm going to take a line from your manifesto here, Randy, make sure you come back though, to this conversation and hit play again, once you go and watch that. But one of the things that you mentioned is that you want to engage while others walk on by. And I heard that my mind immediately went to the parable of the Good Samaritan. While some of the other people in that story, I'm sure they had a meeting that they were trying to get to, or they had something very important they were trying to get to, but at the expense of helping somebody that was right along their path. And you're saying something that I think to be very countercultural to the world that we live in today, that we are going to engage when everybody else would stay focused and you know trying to get to whatever they thought was the most important thing for themselves. Could you break down that principle for me from your manifesto and even how that would play out and tying into some of what we've talked about on our conversation so far? Yeah. Well, you already touched on the on the biggest part. I think that the pace of life has caused us to lose some of our connectedness with one another. 
Yeah, I think it was A.W. Tozer who said, uh, define prayer is just recognizing the presence of God. And so many times we go through life and God's fingerprints are everywhere. I mean, he's, he's moving all around us. He's trying to get our attention, but we're so distracted that we're so consumed in our own concerns that we're not really paying attention to other people and the challenges in the world around us. Some of those challenges that we could step into and we could meet. And so I like that line, I'll engage. And I think that's, that's the key phrase. I will engage. I will engage with everyone God brings across my path. I'll take the time to connect with others. Sometimes it's just a smile or a handshake or a word of encouragement. Sometimes it's, you know, lending a listening to you. Time is the most valuable commodity that we have. And so we have to use it judiciously. There's no doubt about that. And you don't want to waste your time. But I think that sometimes we need to slow down to be sensitive to those around us who are in need and who could use some encouragement and who could use some coaching. And I think that's where the richness of life really comes in. For me, my biggest role model as a leader is Jesus and the way that he lived his life on this on this earth. And if you look at his life and some of the stories, he moved at an incredibly slow pace. I mean, he's not having conversations with a woman at a well if he is so driven that he's constantly moving to the next thing. It's definitely something to aspire to as leaders in the world that we live in today. There were a couple other things that you mentioned in your manifesto that I wanted to bring up here, Randy, and let you unpack for us. And then we'll we'll round out our conversation today. You mentioned a daily decision, like a, a choice that you make on a daily basis. I'd love for you to share that mindset with our audience and looking at it on a day-by-day basis. Well, in the manifesto, we talk about, you know, I choose to make a statement with my life. Our, our brand, Remarkable, has an exclamation point at the end of it. Because the reality is every day uh, you're writing a new chapter of your story. And every chapter consists of sentences. And every act is a sentence in your life. And so you can end that sentence with a, a period, full stop, it's over, it's done, right? You can end it with a question mark. You can leave people scratching their heads you know, in a conundrum wondering, what was that all about? Or you can make a statement with your life. And I choose every day to make a statement with my life. I want to make a statement of positivity. I want to make a statement of creativity, of sustainability, of responsibility. I want to make a statement. I want to, I want to choose every day to be remarkable. And that word obviously means a lot to us because it's the name of the company, but it's also the name of the book. It's a great word. It's a powerful word. But it just means that you live life or you do business in such a way that you exceed all expectations. You know, that you you blow people away, you go the second mile, you deliver above and beyond to the degree that when you leave someone's presence, they have this irrepressible desire to talk about you and the difference that you've made in their life. Because when they're talking about you and the difference that you've made, when they're remarking about you, you indeed have become remarkable. I want to live life and do business and conduct myself in such a way that I leave an indelible impression upon other people's lives. And I think we can do that if we do that consciously and intentionally. I am fired up to go put an exclamation point on my life, Randy. Thank you for giving us a masterclass there in punctuation. And I can almost guarantee you that everybody else is ready to put an exclamation point on their life too, after hearing you unpack that. And I know we've mentioned Remarkable a couple of times. We're about to re-release the book. 
And so could you share with the audience about what's, what's happening there with Remarkable right now as they're listening to this episode? We're thrilled that Remarkable has been received so well and, and used in so many circles for training and encouragement. And we're getting ready to release our third edition of the book, which is great. It's going to be a little bit more condensed in terms of size, so it's easy to travel with and easy for team members to carry. But the book actually comes out early April 2024. But if you want to pre-order, you can go to your local bookstore, wherever fine books are sold, and pre-order it as early as late January. And uh, and those will be available in the market 1st of April. And would be honored if you would uh, get a copy and spread it around. You got to get it, people. I promise you will not regret it. It will be the best decision that you make today to go pre-order the book, Remarkable. And then while you're waiting for that book to be delivered, there's a couple other books that I also would recommend that you go get. Randy's never going to tell you to go buy all of his books, but I will tell you to go buy all of his books, Relationomics and then Fireproof Happiness, I believe are the two other ones, correct, Randy, that you've authored? That's right. We got a we got a new one coming out uh, toward the end of next summer entitled Make Life Good. And I'm really excited about the release of that as well. So uh, the, the full title is You've Made a Good Living, Now Make Life Good. Made a Good Living, Now Make Life Good. I can't wait to dig into that one. I know that it's going to be a really powerful book as well. Randy, as we wrap up today, an Andy Stanley language, I'd love to ask you, what's the one thing? So as you as you imagine a listener, a leader that's walking away from this conversation in this episode, if they don't remember anything else today, what would you like them to take away from this conversation and, and maybe even go and do as a result? Strive to be a value creator in all that you do. Spread kindness, inspire hope, create value for everyone you encounter and encourage everyone you know to do the same. Create value, that's what we're called to do in all aspects of life. So no matter what arena you're floating in, and that's what you need to do, be a value creator, not a value extractor. You just inspired a lot of people to go be value creators today. You heard it from Randy. Now go and do it. Randy, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today for our conversation. I know I personally have gotten so much from you, so I appreciate you taking the time to do this. And um excited to dig into some of these new books and to continue maximizing the impact that we get to make on people every single day. Thanks, man. You're welcome, Josh. Man, well, thank you for letting me be a part of the podcast and uh, all the best in your every endeavor. Keep up the good work. My hope in coming off of this conversation is that each of us would be brutally honest in how we answer the questions Randy shared today and that we would use this new filter of value creating versus value extracting in every single one of our relationships. We can do that by asking ourselves, am I adding value to this person or am I simply extracting value from this person? Like Randy mentioned, you can go pre-order now your copy of the third edition of his original book, Remarkable. I'd encourage you to order a copy for everybody on your team, read it together. It will be life-changing. I'll have the link in the episode description to secure your copy. I really, really appreciate you leaning into today's conversation. It's not something that I take lightly. I appreciate so much the opportunity uh, to get to learn with each of you. Like always, if you want to connect with me, I'll have a link to do that in the episode description. Until next time, stay saucy, everybody.